0: I get to, to hand it over to my friend Aaron. I've talked for, gosh, a number of years now about the immense blessing that the Redemption family of churches has been to us here in Prescott, and they continue to be. Aaron is a, uh, a leader, a pastor, an author within that church, and I'm, I'm really grateful to have him with us this morning. Will you give him a, a round of applause and welcome him? <laughs> Well, last night, I will tell you, uh, Pastor Landon and his incredible wife took my wife and I to a restaurant here. I can't even remember the name, but they kept telling me about this thing called tapas, you know. I had never heard of tapas before, so they're going, well, what should we order to, tonight? And he, I go, well, let's whatever the tapas are, we should order the tapas. And Landon just goes, everything on here is tapas. And I'm like well, let's just get all the tapas, you know? Uh, so I'm learning new things here and I have enjoyed hanging out with your pastor, Landon. And uh, I tell you, I found out that we have the same love language. It's sarcasm. So it's, it's been an immediate, is that, that's a love language. It's gotta be a love language because it's definitely mine. So we've immediately connected. Landon, thank you so much. The other thing is I, I actually got to go to seminary with uh, Ty, who is standing back there and one of the elders here and part of this team. And, and, and I've, I loved hearing about when this church was planted. It was around that time that we were in seminary together and all the things that were taking place. So I got to kind of follow some of that stuff. One of my favorite things about Ty is whenever he would talk in class, he'd sit quiet the whole time, but he'd always have to give a precursor. He'd always be like, you know, I know I'm the old guy and I'm not a pastor. And we'd be like, Ty, just stop like giving qualifications and then he would drop some nugget that all of us are like oh wow that was really good for an old guy and you're not a pastor you know so I appreciate you Ty and it is so good to see my friend here again. Um, one of the things I want to just warn all of you if you haven't already figured it out I am a little bit crunk, okay? Let me put it in a different way. I do get a little bit wild if you don't know me very well, so that's been uh, just a a pre-warning, if you will. I grew up kind of singing gospel music, and I was a part of kind of different communities where we would yell and shout at each other and all kinds of charismatic realities, and so if you say amen today, it won't scare me, okay? I won't jump. I actually will feel okay with it. Um, Actually, I'll feel a little bit more at home, And and, and if you walk out of here and go, man, that guy was a little bit passionate, you know, a little bit loud. Here's the good news. God tells you something. You have to love me anyways. You know what I'm saying? So you, you gotta love me anyways. And you don't have to put up with me, but for just just one week, that's it. <laughs> just one week. And then you get to go back to all the boring stuff you normally do, okay? So we're gonna be good and uh, we'll, we'll get back to... Next week, back to all your boring things that you're normally used to, okay? Just kidding. So uh, we're so glad. I get, I'm so glad that I get to be over here. And when Pastor Landon told me about the practices series, I immediately was drawn to the hospitality one. And hopefully you'll be able to see why it's really close to my heart. And so as we dive into this time together, I wanted to start with just a a, a quote from a theologian by the name of John Frame. Here's what he says. He says this, that theology is the application of God's word by persons in every area of life. Hopefully you immediately see the difference of what maybe many of us would think theology actually is. What we would think theology is, is that theology is actually deep beliefs and articulation of those beliefs. And that we have to hold core to these beliefs. And what John Frame uh, uh, rightfully pushes is that actually you're not a theologian because you can articulate things well. You're actually a theologian when you put the beliefs into practice in every area of your life. I'm actually more drawn to a practicing people than just deep thinking people. I'm actually more drawn to a practicing people than simply people who can talk good and articulate things well. See, I'm convinced. That if we are going to be concerned about correct articulation, then what we do is when we hear something articulated not the way we like it, we immediately call their articulation heresy. And when we call their articulation heresy, we should rightfully be concerned about false teaching and false narrative. But we don't seem concerned as the church about what I call relational heresy is when our relationships don't match what we say. It's when our relationships don't match our gospel beliefs, we would rather be concerned about how someone articulates things than how we practice what we say we believe. Let me give you some examples. There are not many churches across uh, America that would not say that our God deeply desires the unity of his people. We could preach good messages on Jesus's last prayer, we could articulate it well, but As the church, we must admit that our relationships don't match our preaching on unity. That's relational heresy. Maybe we talk about gospel reconciliation where all nations, tribes, and tongues will be at the feet of Jesus singing a song and in the end there will be this, all these nations, all these tribes, and all of these tongues, yet our tables And our relationships are exclusive to the same race, the same type of of people that we look like and we are scared of all nations, all tribes and all tongues. It's relational heresy. Most of us would preach that the people of God sit at the same table no matter what economic bracket they fall into. That God's table is actually filled with more poor people than it is rich people. Matter of fact, he goes into the highways, into the byways. While the rich won't accept his invitation, his banquet is filled with all kinds of people from the highways and byways. And we believe that rich and poor should come and eat at the table together, yet our tables are filled with people from the same economic bracket. It's relational heresy. And if we believe this kind of truth hospitality then becomes a practice that is the manifestation of the seed of the gospel that is implanted in us. So when we practice hospitality, it is a manifestation of a mystery that is seen in the mundane. See, so often as we sit at tables together, we miss the mystery in the mundane because it just feels like we're eating a meal, we miss the mystery. We miss that this meal is a manifestation of a deep gospel reality. So here is part of that gospel reality that we miss, that hospitality is the very nature of God himself. He in himself is family. Father, Son, and Spirit. The very nature of their relationship is identified in family terms and they are distinct and equal and one. And in the Trinity, there is this beautiful harmony of outdoing one another in honor. Yet as they have this perfect unity, they invite others into that unity. They didn't just stay at a table by themselves. They created the world and then created an environment in creation where that same unity and fellowship could be had with his creation, that he is a God who makes room and invites others to be folded up into that Trinitarian relationship that we get to experience the fellowship with God because of his hospitality. You, his people, have been invited to his table. He has always been one who's creating perfect environments to fellowship with his people. And when we sinned and he separated from us, it says we would die if we would surely die. And and the enemy says, no, you're not gonna surely die. And then it makes you question that if, what is death? Because Adam and Eve didn't immediately fall to death. What true death is, is that they were separated from God that they were separated from him in the garden and that fellowship that was core to their humanity was now isolated and they were separated from the very God that they were connected to and God did not stop pursuing them and inviting them to the table. From the very beginning, he kills an animal for the first time, showing hospitality and giving them clothing so that they could be covered inviting them to the meal all the way through the the Old Testament. God is killing animals so that their blood would be atonement and their blood would be a covering and their blood would be a meal and their bodies would be a meal so that we would be nourished. He's constantly creating spaces where fellowship can be restored again. Jesus was the biggest party animal of them all. I mean, his first miracle is putting on the best party with the best wine at the end. He's constantly eating. There's a whole book about how Jesus just ate his way through his life. He's constantly at tables just eating. Matter of fact, his disciples started feeling guilty at one point and said, Jesus, all the other disciples fast a lot. Why don't we fast? He goes, why would you fast? Uh, because we would pray for Yahweh to come. Yahweh is here, so why are we fasting? We should eat. We should fellowship. We should party. The feast is there and Jesus shows us all the way through the gospels that he is gathering meals and inviting people to the table. The last image of scripture is a feast in new creation where all God's people are gathered in a feast together. You are a product of God's hospitality and generosity towards you. In my tradition, we like to do something where the preacher says, turn to your neighbor and say, now I know you may not like looking at people next to you. I just like looking at the back of their head. But today I'm gonna make you do something from my tradition. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a product of God's hospitality. Turn to him, say it. All right. All right, that was good for your neighbor on the right, but now I need you to turn to your neighbor on the left and put a little bit of bass in your voice and some stank on it and say, you are a product of God's hospitality. (laughs) You know why I wanted you all to say that to each other? is because just because you've heard it and just because you know it, sometimes you need to be reminded of it. You are the stranger who was invited to be family with God. You are the one who if it wasn't for God's hospitality and generosity would not be a part of his family. And because God showed hospitality to you, We thou know how to show hospitality to others. Can I just say, I think the church loves to preach about forgiveness because we love to be forgiven. But yes, forgiveness is a beautiful teaching, but it's not the end of the gospel. We have not just been forgiven. We are a new humanity with a whole new life. And all things have become new, brother. That if you realize that you have this new creation reality, you understand that you are not just forgiven. You are not just a product of hospitality. You are now a dispenser of hospitality. You become God's very representation in the world. You are a new creation. You are a new people. You're a new humanity. You are heaven on earth. And those places now begin to be seen, not just in one dimensional ways, here's what I mean. The legalistic in this room will be go, well, how do I show hospitality? I'm gonna feed people. I'm gonna find someone who's poor and I'm gonna give them a sack lunch. And I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and they start giving and those may be hospitable things. But all's that we need to hear today is that religious duty never covers up for the fact that you don't have love in your heart. Scripture says this, who cares how many people you feed? If you don't have love, it's a waste of your money. It's never one dimensional. It's never just a practice. It's a practice that is put into practice because you want to practice love because you're used to practicing hate. You want to put into practice a deeper reality. 1 Peter 4 says it this way, show hospitality without grumbling, which means there's a way to show hospitality that's not hospitable. And here's the way to show hospitality without being hospitable. Do it and make people feel guilty that you have to do it. Make them feel like, you know, you want to know how much I just sacrificed to make this meal for you? You know how many people, you know, I could have really used that money, but instead I'm buying you a meal, you know. I don't want you to feel guilty, but I really could have used that cash, you know. The reality is there is a heart to hospitality that gets displayed in the practice. Have you ever been in someone's home that is feeding you a meal, but you feel like you're not welcome there? The church that just does religious duty, that's not attached to a love that's deep, will have people receiving meals without receiving love. Hospitality is a full-bodied experience that requires your heart, Your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in the same way, love your neighbor. This is why when Scripture speaks of hospitality in Romans and 1 Timothy and Hebrews and 1 Peter and many, many stories... It's more attached to this, and I want you to write this down and hopefully remember that hospitality is both action and affection, receiving and loving a stranger. Hospitality is both action and affection, receiving and loving a stranger. Now, I think this is where I might get less amens, but I still got to preach it. Okay? So give me one last amen because I think it's the last one I'm going to hear. Can I get a good amen? When we start talking about strangers, this is where we get uncomfortable because since childhood we've been taught stranger, danger. And so if we ever feel like someone is a stranger, we never lean into hospitality with them because we have given ourselves laws and religious practices that justify our lack of hospitality. A stranger is an uncomfortable part of biblical hospitality because actually the gospel table does not just have friends and family. It has strangers and aliens and outcasts because God's table is never just filled with the insiders. See, the people of God must care about the whole person, and they must see and recognize the image of God in them. And we live in a culture that promotes fear of others. So what we do is something called othering people. So if we are afraid of them and if they are strangers, we make them enemies. We make them foreigners. We make them outcasts. But the Christian table is filled with strangers. That's why biblical hospitality is more than the hospitality industry that the West has. It's actually more beautiful. It confuses the world. They should walk into a room like this and go, what brings these people together? There's all nations. There's all tribes. There's all tongues. There's rich. There's poor. There's insiders, outsiders. There's, there's all kinds of people. What brings them together? The beautiful confusion that happens is there gotta be one answer that brings these people together. Jesus. My concern is that most of our Christian circles, we could find something else that brings us together. We like the same music. We like the same clothes. We like the same style. We like the same whatever. We are used to creating communities in our image rather than reflecting the image of God in the world. When you create something in your image, it's called an idol in scripture. So when a community looks like and acts like one specific context or one specific group of people, it's actually a reflection of us, not God. So when someone in our community would ask me, what's your thoughts on immigration? I would say, before I answer that question, when was the last time you ate with an immigrant? And they said, "Uh, never. And I said, it's not a policy to me. It's a person. That all of us hide behind our policies so we don't have to be hospitable to a person. Scripture doesn't give us room for that, friends. This world does. Our laws do, our politics does, but Jesus doesn't. We have been in race wars for a long time and people go, "Hey, what's your posture on race wars? Well, when's the last time you ate a meal with someone from another culture or another race?" I I just I don't. I don't. I don't want to share with you my thoughts on the race wars until you get to know some people from other cultures and contexts. Well, what about the homeless crisis and the unhoused and and poverty in our country? When's the last time you've invited someone to your table from the unhoused and homeless population? Brothers and sisters, we come up with all kinds of reasons to give ourselves all kinds of excuses and we're not the first group that has done this so that we don't have to show hospitality and true hospitality is welcoming strangers. I want to illustrate this in my favorite story that illustrates this. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Instead of reading a bunch of them, I'm just going to make a few points and then read the last part of it. But look at verse 36 as they put it up here on the screen. Verse 36 says this. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, speaking of Jesus, to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. I want you to notice one piece here. The Pharisee invited Jesus because of one reason. At the beginning of Luke chapter seven, it says that Jesus was really, really popular. So the Pharisee wanted Jesus at his table so he could name drop. Oh yeah, you guys like Jesus? He ate with me the other day. (laughs) Notice that the Pharisee, who ultimately many times was an enemy of Jesus, As long as it served his agenda, was willing to invite Jesus to his table. So there was an invitation that many of us could call hospitality. But look at the next verse. It says that there was a woman in town who was a sinner. (laughs) Found out that Jesus was reclining at the table with the Pharisee. And look at the next verse. What did she do? She enters in and brought an alabaster flask and falls at the feet of Jesus behind him. Notice that word behind him because Jesus would have been sitting at a table with his legs behind him and she fell at his feet and began to weep and pour out uh, oil upon him and use her tears and her hair and all kinds of things to worship him. And in that place, you see this woman who is a sinner showing true hospitality. Next verse. She uses her hair to wipe his feet and she's kissing his feet and, and with fragrant oil. Next verse. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I want you to notice that line. Basically, other translation says he's just thinking it his mind. He says to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what kind of woman she was and wouldn't let her touch him because she's a sinner. Notice this, he's not saying this out loud. He's just thinking it. What's the next verse? Jesus replied to him. So he's replying to the man's thoughts. And his thoughts were, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And Jesus is showing him, not only do I know what kind of woman this is, I know what you're thinking right now. I mean, have you ever like had somebody respond to a facial expression and they respond actually to what you're thinking and you're like, did I say that out loud or... Jesus is reading his mail, and here's what he says. Hey, I've got something to say to you. And he says, teacher, say it. Now, I love that, because in the charismatic circles, when you really like something the preacher's saying, you say, say it, sir. You know what I'm saying? Just preach that thing, man. You know, And you can see him get excited about it. He's going, oh, yeah, Jesus is going to say something to me. And he goes into a story. What's the next one? He says, a creditor has... Two people that own money, basically 1,500 and and 1,50, and he erases the debt and he asks the man a question who's gonna love him more? Next verse, in that question, he answers and says, I suppose the one who forgave more, and he says, You've judged correctly. Notice this, he is saying for the first time, Simon, you have judged something right. I love this because here's a teacher who has made a bunch of false judgments. In a short period of time. And Jesus asks him an obvious question. And he answers it. And Jesus goes, finally, you've made a right judgment here, basically. Now I want you to look at these last verses and I want us to see what Jesus does. Then, verse 44, he turned to the woman and said to the man, this is such an important thing. Don't just listen to Jesus' words. Look at Jesus' body language. Don't just listen to Jesus' words. Look at his body language. Jesus turns from the table and looks to the woman, but talks to Simon. Have you ever made somebody so mad that they won't even look at you, but you can only see them shaking their head and, and talking to you? You ever had that before? Where you have so offended them, they don't even want to look at you, but they got something to say to you. He turns around and looks at the woman, and I think what she wanted was God's face, and what he needed was God's word. And he speaks to the man and he tells her, he tells him this Did you not see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. And you didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you... Her many sins which have been forgiven, that's why she's loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this man that he forgives sins? Last verse. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to notice a couple of things as we go to the Lord's table together. First, is this you don't need a house to show hospitality. This woman did not have a house, but she was the example of hospitality. She actually used a religious man's house to show Jesus hospitality. She's like, This is a perfect place. I'll use your house to be hospitable. Jesus did it often. He went to tax collectors hey, I'm going to your house. <laughs> so many of you think you can't show hospitality because you don't have a space. Hospitality is a heart posture right. Right. of making people feel welcome and that they're not an inconvenience to you. Yeah. It's a heart posture of seeing someone when nobody else sees them. When everybody else calls them a sinner, Jesus says, you haven't even seen this woman. She's seen me. Hospitality is truly this sense of welcoming the stranger and this woman didn't have a house, but Jesus said, she's the one who should be teaching you, teacher. Here's the beauty of a table. Is if you have someone who's a stranger and you would invite them over to eat and have a hospitable place, you'll realize that the people you were scared of are not just people that you won't have fear of anymore. They're people you could learn something from. They're people that fill out the full reflection of what Christ's image does, that the poor and the marginalized and the outcast, when they're sitting at your table and become family, you realize that their life and their experiences are more of a teaching. Even though you have the position of teacher, you still got something to learn. Here's another thing I want us to hear. Jesus turns his back on self-righteous law-driven duty that's rooted in fear. And he turns his face towards those who are hospitable towards him. Do you know that when you worship Jesus together, you're being hospitable to Jesus? Here's what I mean. When we say, Jesus, you are welcome in this place, He's already here, but that doesn't mean you've welcomed him here, and that doesn't mean you've made him feel welcome, that when we come in and practice hospitality towards Jesus and worship and we're pouring out our hearts and affections towards him, it is this reality of acknowledging him in this room that worship is a practice of hospitality that when we respond in singing and crying and reaching out to God we realize i need you you're here and i turn my attention toward you that just because someone is here doesn't mean we're paying attention to them this woman showed the man what it meant that Jesus was in his house but he wasn't paying attention to Jesus she was and he turns his face towards her. That when you show hospitality, you actually get to see the face of Jesus. <clears throat> There's a, a scary moment in scripture for many of us that when Jesus said, you didn't feed me and you didn't give me something to drink. And they go, what do you mean? Where were you? You passed by me because I looked homeless and you passed by me because I was thirsty, that you thought it was somebody in poverty, but it was actually me. That maybe you're looking for God's face in a friend when it's actually in a stranger. And when you pass by them, And when you don't show hospitality to those who may seem scary to you, you are missing out on experiencing the very face of God. So my question to us today as we practice hospitality, as we come to the Lord's table, is that communion is an every week practice of remembering because of Jesus giving his body and blood and preparing a meal, we all get to come to the table, no matter what nation, tribe, tongue, economic status, that this table is prepared for you. The meal is prepared for you, that as strangers and aliens, God has made us family by grace. And there is not one of us that can come to this table and say we earned a seat here. And so if we believe this gospel of grace, our tables begin to reflect this gospel of grace where we stop making people earn a seat at our table and give it away graciously. Father, we thank you for your body and blood that has been broken for us. We thank you that we have a seat at the table where we don't feel like strangers anymore. For the first time at your table, we feel family. We feel friendship. We feel union. We feel thanksgiving because we know that this meal cost your body and your blood. That when we're partaking of this meal, we're actually eating of your flesh and your blood. That we're drinking in fellowship. We're eating fellowship. We're being restored to our new creation place. So Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, let us come with repentance in our hearts where we have made strangers out of those who you tell us to feed and to show hospitality to. And let us do the practices of love and let this place that I have experienced so much hospitality from, I felt like a family immediately. Let this place in this city be a home home for the foreigner, the stranger, and the outcast. In Jesus' name, amen awesome well thanks for joining us once again we are restoration church in beautiful prescott arizona and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in if this is your first time welcome Uh, jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about Um, and if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us um, go ahead and hit that contact tab we'd love to connect with you and uh, until next time remember Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.